0: everyone has a story but not everyone is a storyteller
1: hello my name is karen tang tang and
0: my name is ahmed nomadic ali welcome you're listening to otherwise wisdom from the other
1: a podcast dedicated to empowering diverse communities living on treaty six territory by sharing stories of their lived experiences this episode is recorded on August 15th.
0: Hello, hello. Hi, How are you doing? Not bad, yourself?
1: Long week. It's been a long week. Yes. You're hitting the door so hey?
0: Honestly, I've uh, walked a lot of it. It's been a long time since I've walked this much and talked that much, especially with COVID. Um, but I'm grateful. Yes, I have been to the doors and um, several neighborhoods, whether it's literature drops or... Speaking with uh, the residents has been fantastic. Yourself?
1: Yeah, same. Has there been a sort of a story or an interaction that really stands out for you?
0: Uh, One specific one. Uh, I know speaking about data a lot, we have an understanding of who votes or doesn't vote. Mm -hmm. And I really don't want to fit into that because if, as a diverse candidate, I uh, adhere to the whole, this is the people that vote and these are the people that don't vote. I would have been elected a long time ago if that worked but apparently it doesn't, right? So I have to change the way I engage the community. And so I haven't been skipping, quote unquote, the areas that don't vote because it's not representative of the data that is around now or the lived experience of the folks. So one story that happened is um, I spoke with uh, somebody who was in housing and I knocked the door. I said, hey, uh, my name is Ahmed. I'm running for city council. And they said, you know what? Before we proceed, I just wanted to let you know that you're the first person of my 21 years of living here that has knocked on my door. And I said, that is, that is sad. And it honestly hurt me and it bothered me because how do we exclude these people from the process yet they're suffering from issues like the transit? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yourself?
1: Yeah. I mean, totally. I was having this conversation with some of my team is campaigners will always tell you, you know, go to the people who's going to vote and they're often homeowners, you know, they are in our neighborhoods. So you skip out a lot of like apartments, townhomes, condos, you reach those, you know, through other methods. But then you end up thinking about it because the people you and you really have a conversation with are homeowners because you know they pay taxes, blah 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 blah, and then you develop uh, sort of platforms and policies really geared towards homeownership, and that excludes a lot of people. And then I guess the idea is that you've you know you you get in and then you really represent everybody, but I guess in the process, if you don't really meet those who don't who aren't normally reached. How can you best really reflect their realities in your platform development, or afterwards, if, if elected, in the way you represent them?
0: You know, it's funny. I actually have never thought of it like that. Um, not trying to hype you up, but you're right. If we are only knocking on specific doors and hearing the concerns from specific people, then the policies or whatever we are gearing towards are for those specific people. And there's a lot more than those specific people—the ones that vote, the ones that may be connected or call three one one or whoever it is that's, that's so true. And I guess that's why the story of this lady, Mm -hmm. it happens, uh, the resident.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It is. It is. I mean, it's, we talk about the game a lot. I think it's part of that game. And well, for me, you know, I think there's so much magic that can happen at the doors. Uh, Of course you always get, you know, some pretty extreme cases. And, but, you know, over the weekend I was uh, in this, in a suburban neighborhood of Walker and I was putting up a sign and a grandmother and her granddaughter walked by and they were just so friendly and so kind. They were pointing at the sign. They were pointing at me and the grandmother started speaking to me in a different language, just like talking to me, you know, like a, like a conversation. Mm -hmm. And I just like patiently listened for a long time. And I'm like, I'm so sorry, but I don't understand. And the little girl tried to like translate for me by whispering to my ear and I couldn't understand, but, you know, at the end, you know, the grandmother gesture like food, you know, and, and wow. she's trying to invite me for food. And, and, and I'm just like, you know, we can never forget the power of the kindness of strangers. And those actually happens so much more frequently. And those are the moments that really stick with me about, you know, door knocking. And I think it's kind of timely that we're talking about this. And it's timely that we're getting into this phase of our voter outreach of the you know, of the campaign. Because today, we're, we really want to kind of spend some time talking about this idea of public engagement. And to me, one of the best ways of reaching people, of reaching general public, of reaching such a diverse experience uh, on the ground, is actually through face-to-face, good old, hitting-the-ground door-knocking,
0: right? Agreed. Agreed. 100%. The reason behind that is you get that unfiltered, passionate, Conversation. Human beings are meant to interact face to face. And again, when, say, an entity like the city is engaging the community, it may not have all the resources, might not have the policies to allow that. But as a candidate, when you can go door to door and speak to individuals, I don't understand why counselors uh, don't do that often, Mm -hmm. because that's the best way to hear it, to go into different neighborhoods. Because they have the data necessary to recognize what challenges specific neighborhoods are facing. So to get in there and to actually hear from people would be beneficial because I'm hearing the bar, no offense to some of the councillors who are elected, the bar is so low with public engagement that people are excited that I'm knocking on their doors and listening.
1: Mm -hmm. That's right. And I think some councillors, like Councillor Andrew Nack, has really kept up his... uh, his approach with door knocking, even during off season when it's a not you know non non election period, and I think that's pretty admirable because it's a lot of stamina. But you get some of the best conversation, and even if you don't reach everybody, you reach like sort of a you know one neighborhood or something that is still a pretty randomized sample of uh, what people think and. You know, I know lots of, there's a lot of um, commentaries out there. I was like, oh, you know, city policies are informed by special interest groups or by like the minority who are really vocal. But oftentimes those issues, if you really go door to door, most people like might not feel one way or the other or feel very strongly about it. And uh, and that I, I actually find talking to people at the door really dispels this idea that there are, I mean, yes, of course, there are always special interest groups, um, but Really, it's, it's oftentimes you'd be surprised. It's not really a minority who supports cycling infrastructure or who supports transit, but they ju- they're not speaking out as much because maybe they're so busy with their lives and going to school and put food on the table and making sure people survive, you know?
0: That's right. With council meetings, what time are they, Tuesdays in the morning? During the week, yeah. I think COVID has made it way more accessible that now people can go online and participate in these council meetings yeah. right and have be part of the conversation but beforehand if you worked a nine-to-five and you couldn't afford child care or you couldn't afford to leave work that day because you need to take care of rent or whatever the circumstances may be you're not coming you might not even know I, a prime example is when they were shutting a pool near east glen um that is salt water i believe and it's unique in its own way I know my mom utilized that pool and a lot of folks from the Somali Canadian Women and Children did, but they weren't there speaking on behalf of the community and the value of that pool. But there were other interest groups that were, who were better off. And so you're right. Even though some of these people are utilizing it and they may benefit from it, they're not at the table saying, hey, we disagree or we agree with this.
1: That's right. And I think when when you are at the door, you know, you often remove that that middle institution that's managing those relationships and connections and you always have to remember that each person you talk to is a relationship built um and you directly get to kind of manage that and 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 build that relationship and i think one thing i really appreciate and this is where you know you can tell how long i sometimes spend at the door more than more than you should but i find you know not too long ago i think i was speaking with this gentleman and i don't think we really agree with each other necessarily at the end of our conversation about all kinds of stuff but the whole interaction managed to depolarize, I think, what otherwise could have been a very kind of a tense interaction. But at the end, you know, and, you know, we were able to make jokes and he was just like, you know, I think I think you sway my vote. You're like, you know, um, we may not have to de- agree, but like you listened and you seem like you genuinely care. And, you know, I appreciate that.
0: Inclusion. Yeah. They felt included. Yeah. They felt like they were part of the conversation, regardless of whether they agreed with you or agree with each other, the fact that you included them in that conversation made them feel like they belonged. And so I think that's important as well, because I heard a lot of people talking about there are renovations or projects being done where they may have been consulted, but not followed up with, and they didn't know why it was happening, or how come it's over budget, or why is it delayed, and didn't have those resources. They'd have to go find that themselves. But when the consulting part of it happens, they look for them deliberately, or uh, I guess a random sample. But to go to the doors and really ask—I know it's tough for. Uh, like, I'm—I'm I'm not an administrator, and I'm not on. Like, I don't work for the city nor am I a counselor and understand the challenges that may already exist to do some of these things. But yeah, I think speaking to people directly for a counselor specifically isn't hard. It is not hard. Andrew, Nack, you're right. It is is an anomaly i'm sure there are other counselors who maybe do that but he is the demonstration that exists but you as a counselor it's not that hard
1: <laughs> it's, a, it's kind of where you where you prioritize spending your time right and uh yeah i get it it's like a busy schedule it's a you know it's a busy job um but i think you also mentioned a few things there's, there's some key words there that you know I. When I was working at the city, you hear about it like all the time, like engagement and consultation. And, you know, we have a whole department for public engagement. And a lot of those folks actually go through uh, some pretty intensive training about what it means to do good public engagement. And I just feel like, uh, you know, as much as I appreciate all those opportunities, you know, for, for a period, I was on the Guiding Coalition of Public Engagement, which is a organization or like, a, I guess, a task force almost uh, formed to continue on with the council initiative on public engagement. Because public engagement at one point is so bad, we have to have a dedicated initiative about it. Tons of resources and tons of energies went into it. And I think in, in the end, yes, it was a sound policy with a lot of input from the public. But you know, I guess one, one of my biggest takeaway when I was part of the guiding coalition was that I think at the end of the day, we're still thinking about engagement in a very traditional box. And there's, no you know, methods that really kind of go into it. But for people like you and me that we, we can, you know, navigate very fluidly among different communities and different spaces and we have very wide network, it's just a very different way of thinking about engaging as a way of relationship building and not just about extracting information, you know?
0: That's a very good point as well. I think you are right. A lot of times uh, the engagement is more of a process of a system, right? Like, oh, first we got to engage and consult, then we can start building. So it's like, I'm almost like we got to do this first, then we can do what we got to do. And it's not necessarily like, hey, what does the community need? What are the challenges the community is having? Let's make a poll to see which one of these things the community would want most then let's get these things made. And so there's a process that's top down. And Mm -hmm. a lot of the times, community leagues are aware of what's going on in their community and they could really support in gathering consensus, right? So I think that's down upwards in terms of what does the city need? But again, there may be other um, structural challenges. When it comes to like some some of the, the, just going back to the transit, for example, all the people who have complained, which is a lot of people, they feel like they don't even know why it changed. That in of itself is not good, right? It's just that in of itself is not good because the in that information, at least they have knowledge as to why they did that. And I think that's the important part is getting communication out that is effective in a way that they can consume it because not everybody's going to be online or read a news article or watch the news. You've got to go to doors maybe, but again, there are challenges to that. But I know... Um, God willingly, if and when I am elected, it's for me, it's I've already speak to people regularly, so going to the doors and uh, speaking to neighborhoods and finding out what their what their vibe is is something I'm genuinely looking forward to.
1: Mm-hmm. you know it's a it's a good point because I think through all this, it really makes you appreciate how important that counselor's office becomes uh, in this role of like engaging the public. You know there's maybe the city as an institution can only do so many things that are quite limited. But as the counselor and as the office, beyond just responding to complaints, really, that I mean that's half of the job, right? Like responding to questions and complaints. But they are really the connection with, you know, the communities and the and the residents. And anyway, so the more I talk to people, the more it just makes me really appreciate how important this role is and you know what we're trying to accomplish here.
0: You're 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 right. And again, the counselor's responsibility is to take information, filter it in a way that's beneficial for administration and for administration to execute on these things. Right? If so, if a counselor isn't going to communities, because again, there's a difference between my door is open, come see me, whatever, and I'm connected to these communities because I go pray at their mosque Mm -hmm. and I go celebrate their festivals. And I'm engaged in volunteering with them. That's a different level of engagement. And that's why honestly experience and community work really matters if you already have this prior experience as a counselor, because then you can bring that right. experience and you're not trying to build that stuff up based on your career or your job. Cause there are those two differences. I remember in the art uh, at the Edmonton arts council, the challenge was how do we get more diverse folks to apply, right? We can't just expect them to come and know that it's there. It's about going to festivals that are already existing, that they're doing where we don't know. Of. So it's us finding them and then informing them of what the arts council is. So it's like a, the opposite, instead of waiting for them to know we here, we exist, let them know we exist and we're there to serve.
1: That's right. So you know, it's really about going to where people are, are at literally. And I think that's, you know, really, it's not a, it's not a radical idea, but I think it's often like surprising how little we do that. We, how little we actually implement and execute. I mean, when I, you know, spent my two years at the city, I was project managing this initiative that's, ultimately really about co-creating solutions. And that I actually think it's going above a step above and beyond just kind of like telling something, someone something and asking for feedback. But you're actually actively co-creating something with people who, who you may not normally work with, who you may not even agree with. And I would love to see more of that kind of co-creation come to fruition at the city level and I and I think we can only really do that at a very hyper local level and again I see sort of the council's office being such an important conduit um, and I've seen like you know I've heard various arguments about when that can happen and when co-creation doesn't work and I just I feel like there is a point where um that I think it can't work under the right circumstances and so that's something I'm really excited to To kind of bring some of my experience um, because I think co-creating solutions together is really about understanding people's experience first and then to say in that journey of you know accessing this service or that service or how they live their day-to-day where are the pain points that we can improve on that we can jig or we can you know do something about so that their journey that journey that pathway becomes much smoother and we don't do that enough you think about like we've talked about this before on previous episodes, when it comes to transit or when it comes to small businesses, these are all experiences that we can collectively work on to smooth out. And it's not and the onus is not just on the city or on government or you know on community league or on some kind of institution. We all play a role and we all can shape those solutions.
0: That you know, the more we talk about this, the more I think the whole community versus career politician talk? Because as a career politician, you know the policies that need to happen, right? Like, oh, these are the policies that we need. But are you part of the people experiencing either the challenges or benefit of those policies? Let's use transit, for example. Say if you're a counselor and you've never or you don't ever take transit, and then you sign off on the transit thing, how do you know the challenges these folks are facing if you yourself aren't riding on the transit and gaining the experience that the constituents or the residents that you are responsible for representing are going through, right? It's about being part of that as well. And so, yeah, a counselor can go into a community and I want to get elected, build all these relationships. But in all honest opinion, they're like fickle because they don't go deeper than I need to connect with you based on my job. Rather than I've worked with you, I've experienced these challenges with you, I've volunteered here before, and I remember the challenges that you used to have, or I know the challenges you're going through because I'm there. And not necessarily just because as a politician, I'm there, but I'm there as part of your community. And I just so happen to be somebody who's elected to office.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's this is where that lived experience really comes in. And, you know, we can't have the lived experience of every single experience in the world, and that's not possible. But I think, you know, if you are someone who's already engaged, if you're that community person, you should be in touch with people all the time. You should be talking to people all the time. And you have good advisors, you have good folks, you know, on the ground who can tell you like it is, who can tell you about that experience, who can show you, you know, who can, maybe you can walk together through those experiences. So they can really get a taste, like a taste for what it's like and make better policies. And I think that's actually what I'm really excited to do, you know, and I've, I've worked so long with communities and oftentimes it's just like, if only we're better heard if we're only people can see how we work as an organization, as a community or whatever, things could be so much better. And, and, you know, I just want to stop wishing for it. You know, I I really want to be there and do it.
0: No, I agree with you. I think that's, again, those counselors in the area that I'm running have set the bar so low that I'm excited to engage. With the public on ways that they probably have never, I think just doing slight things are gonna be like, wow. Well, you're here to be like, well, yeah, I'm here, and you're gonna hear a lot more of me, hopefully, and hopefully we can work together together on creating um, whatever type of uh, communication is best for you, yeah. right? So I'm, I'm that's what I'm excited about is honestly, dis- taking information, disseminating it, and put it into a way that the residents understand, and that I can take that information back in a way that administration understands, so that it could be. Effective in the way that we engage each other, because obviously the way that has been done hasn't been working. And to a certain degree, I guess to to a certain point, it works. The argument today: an individual, a resident, was really angry with me because we had to pay an Oilers tax. It took me a while to really decipher what he meant, which was essentially we paid a lot for the, uh, our contributing city money towards building the stadium for the Oilers. Which I said, okay, yeah. Now we're talking the same language because I feel that money could have went to something else or yada yada. But just speaking to me the way he did, he's angry because nobody's speaking to him. And so, as a candidate now, I have to bear that frustration. So there needs to be a better way of engaging these folks.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think what you're talking about really is around deep listening, and you know, it's really a, it's you're listening for values. You're you're listening to these like underlying assumptions sometimes uh to really dig for like what where can we actually find common ground. I don't I wasn't there for your interaction, but I also hear values of like equity and like, you mm-hmm. know, people care about fairness and don't we all care about those things? And how do exactly. we like leverage that information rather than like, well, this is just a grumpy commercial, you know, I don't I don't I don't know what the kind of person is, person was. But you can. I think you if you look for values, um, you can really find some common ground to kind of then make it then have a productive
0: that's relevant to them as well they feel like included right somebody today randomly asked me um what do you think about the bike lanes yeah i said well i'm in the north side and the north side has a lot of serious issues right now and the bike lanes aren't one of them (laughs) right (laughs) and so as an individual though i believe in the fact that we should have infrastructure prepared for future generations and we shouldn't wait for the need and we should make sure that we are creating systems just so that future generations can benefit from, and especially recreational activities, because that's good for our mental and physical health. But I understand your concern that we should focus on the core necessities because of COVID. But I do also want to notify you that it's important that these things lead to better engagement, better citizenship, better feeling about yourself. So no, you may not be interested in bike lanes, but there's a value to these things.
1: Yeah. Exactly, and I think remember where this person coming from, I think even the fact that they asked about that comes from a place of polarization. like some of these exactly. issues have been so polarized um, and then I think we kind of forget you know like why are why do we care so much and I think it's about digging for that why is what's what gets me excited at the door every single time. but
0: sorry to be a poet, but the bike conversation is getting too tired, you know Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, and, but I think like all this conversation is also making me think because earlier I had mentioned you know, you know, we talk about the games. You, you you sometimes have to navigate big P and small P politics. As someone from an ethnocultural community, you know, I think that small P is everywhere. And I think what's interesting, just, you know, speaking about engaging ethnocultural communities from a, from, from the city's perspective, and I think there's lessons that can be learned that applies with different kinds of communities as well, you know, I think at the end of the day, We still see engagement as a checklist. You know, have we engaged, you know, Somali community? Have we engaged the Chinese community? Have we engaged the disability community? Have we engaged LGBTQ2S community, et cetera, et cetera? And underlying that, there's this assumption of hierarchy, right? You always go to organizations and leadership of an organization. And when I say leadership, I'm talking about the CEO or the executive director or board chair or whatever. But very few, I think, you know, few folks within the city actually have their tentacles, like, really connected and have relationship with those on the ground, you know? Not to say that, you know, some EDs and CEOs, they are very much in touch, but, like, there's a lot of people within our organization, but we tend to start at the top.
0: That's, yeah, yeah, it exists uh, everywhere. And uh, I think that's another thing as well, when you're running as a candidate, They say go speak to this person or go speak to this person. That's right. And it's cool. I'll go speak with them, but they're not presidents. They're not city councilors. They're individuals in a community, and often those individuals may have a certain degree of influence or power. But the people who are really doing the work are the ones that those they serve. Those communities that they serve are the ones that really have, and they can't tell those communities, "Hey, you go and vote for this, or you go and do that." It's it's a it's a point of entrance. And that's what it should be taken at. But what how these people are engaged is they're the consensus rather than they're a point of entrance to all these other people within the communities, inside their community, if if that makes sense.
1: Yeah. And, you know, I think it's unfortunate because, uh, you know, when you work within an institution like the city of Edmonton, I think people, you know, the you know, staff member ends up spending so much time on research and preparing reports and I, and I wish there was more time spent on those relationships and really kind of get down, you know, get get down at the ground level, truly. And so I don't know, you know, I feel like uh, those are very much worthwhile. And, you know, having been in those positions, I feel like the relationships takes time to build, uh, but the payoff is huge.
0: And that's true. And so uh, just in conclusion, now, I know personally for me, um, what's one thing that you're looking forward to do once elected in terms of engagement? So I'll let that stoop for a second. I know personally I want to identify all the different events that go on, cultural events I'm going to work hard to find out and not necessarily wait to be invited, but to go there Mm -hmm. beforehand Mm -hmm. and go to these communities and ask, how do I make that event or how do I support this to make it better? Because Mm -hmm. I'm here to represent you and I'm here to serve you. How can I serve you? I'm not gonna wait for you to come to me to get my service where my responsibility is to find you where you are. And I'm really looking forward to that, just to surprise people and to be like, hey, what's up? And they're like, well, what are you doing here? Counsel? Like, I'm here to help. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm looking forward to that.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's so many things I will be looking forward to. And I think I mentioned a few things um earlier, but kind of like a listening tour, you know, like you actually like tour again, you know, your communities from the positions of power if elected and, you know, kind of dig down into the places that people don't normally go to meet the people that don't normally step forward to, to speak. Um, and I want to have a lot of you know coffees and a lot of tea and like sit down and, you know, and that will be a very different conversation. I think than just right now, what we're doing with, you know, door knocking and different meetings and stuff. Um, you know, I'm excited to, actually be in a position where i feel like i can maybe do something versus you know right now i often say to people i'm not elected But so what i can do to help you on this issue is what any edmontonians can do which is called three-on-one reach out to your account counselor's office etc cetera, etc cetera. but i know i'm ready to kind of co-create some some ideas with folks
0: likewise likewise and uh, honestly i hope there's a city council that really permits that type of change because right now it's a perfect opportunity because COVID has made so much uncomfortable, even uh, if I'm not mistaken, even uh, going online as counselors and do their meetings online was not even in the privy or wasn't even in their thoughts, but COVID changed that drastically. And Mm -hmm. so they had to be online and that made it so much more accessible, right? Just those things. So it has to happen and come from a point of uncomfortability Mm -hmm. to make that change. And it has to be radical. Right? It has to be different. It can't be the same because the same has not been working. At least that's what the people at the doors have been mentioning.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, it's always, a, it's always a pleasure to talk about these issues on the ground with you and uh, to kind of swap experiences at the doors and um, look forward to the next time we chat.
0: Likewise. Likewise. Thank you very much. Have yourself a wonderful time. Thank you everybody for listening. Thank you for listening. This episode was edited by Lisa Putin with direct support and guidance by Omar Yakub. Music produced by Kaz Mega. Otherwise Podcast is an affiliate member of the Alberta Podcast Network. Locally grown, community supported.
1: Special thanks to Megan Robinson-Anagore, Jenna Moji, and Maureenike Molaoshe pikan who are co-founders and contributors to season one of The Otherwise Show, done with the support of the Ribbon Rouge Foundation.
0: You can find past and current episodes at ribbonrouge.com slash otherwise dash show. To follow our journey, you can check us out at Karen Tang, YG and a on Twitter and Instagram.
1: Or at our websites, KarenTang.ca and AhmedAli.ca. Thanks for joining. See you next time.